Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Kent Only Podcast brought to you in association with Workforce Dimensions Limited. This is our 10th episode since the lockdown started, believe it or not, and yet again we have some top-notch football content for you this week. As always, I am John Phipps and once again we have a threesome for you on this week's show, which I know you may think is a slight change of tax, but uh, there you go. So first of all, as always, my usual co-host, Inspiration, Quizmaster Extraordinaire, and then I was thrilled to learn last week that Belinda Carlisle is coming to the UK next year. It's Mr Matt Gerrard. How are you, Matt? Not bad. Belinda Carlisle, yeah, she is in my... Yeah, I've said it before, I do like Belinda Carlisle. I don't know what she looks like these days, but um, she, a, a teenage boy's dream um, when her big hits in the late 80s, along with Tiffany as well, if I remember, and Debbie Gibson. I presume all around the same age. So those were the sort of... They were the Taylor Swift and the Demi Lovato, if that's the correct one. Cause my daughter, <laughs> I don't know who these people are. I know Taylor Swift is, but I don't know who Demi Lovato is, but my daughter plays her song quite a bit. But they were they were those people of the time. So um yes. just to clarify, Matt said big hits in the eighties, hits. Also here today, back for his second Kent Only podcast, is our good pal, freelance sports journalist, and a man who I understand drove to the South Fordham Lighthouse near the White Cliffs of Dover last week just to check his eyesight was okay. It's Alex Hode. How are you, Hody? <laughs> I'm very well, very well, John. Thank you very much for having me back. I was actually just stopped off at the lighthouse on my way back from Durham. I had a very, very pleasant weekend, actually, a long weekend. It's, uh, it's been a fun summer so far. Yeah, I hear Barnard Castle's nicest time of year, so I hope you popped in. Absolutely. The bluebells are excellent. It was my wife's birthday. It was, it was the least we could do, really. You have yeah, got you a four-year-old could... child, Hody. Would they have gone know... the older distance without stopping for a wee? Do you, do you know what? I, I know. I, I want to know the questions I want to know are about the, the car. How have you got a car that can go there and back without filling up? And uh, and how do you if the kid needs a loo in a, in a half an hour trip, why did it not in a, in a four hour trip, presumably? Yeah, there's there's questions remaining unanswered. I think we'll talk about that later on in the show, because, uh, yeah, like you, I have plenty of questions. Hope you've been a busy boy getting some bits and pieces done. But uh, as you said on Twitter yourself the other day, you're always going to be number two child in your family at the moment. <laughs> it is when you've got a, a key worker, a tier one key worker, no less. My brother works for the NHS, keeping all the the system ticking over nicely and, uh, and and hopefully keeping us all safe. So when, when we clap outside our back door on a Thursday, I, I think of him. It's the first time in, in 30 odd years that I've, I've given him credit. So I, it's about time I do. Excellent. Well, it's our 124th episode this week. And when I stuck that into Google, all it wanted to talk about was the Fiat 124, which was the European car of the year after its launch in 1967. With success in Europe in 1967 and not a lot else since, some might say that Fiat are the Celtic of cars. Strong in their homeland, but really not that good on the big stage. I suppose this is the point where Hody tells us that he drives a Fiat Punto and he really loves it. Uh, do you know what? I, uh, a Cinquecento, or a Fiat 500 as they're known in England. Um, my, my other half has one. Typical, you'd imagine she's some kind of nail technician or beautician or a hairdresser. No, she's got a very a Cornish personalised Fiat 500, which I unfortunately have had to take on some small journeys and, and does do my back a mischief, I must say. So does that one of those stickers on, is she? She's got it literally is it's one of a limited edition of nine. Hers is number seven. It's got a Kerno flag on the roof and the downsides and some of the interior as well. It's extraordinary. So does that mean on the interior that the jam's first or the cream first? Oh, don't even. Honestly, that's enough to start a civil war down there. I'm very much of a Devon way. If I'm doing it myself, I would I would certainly put the cream on first and then the uh, the jam on top. But the Cornish will they'll take your eyes for saying something like that. <laughs> I'm making my Victoria sponges and every time I do it. We have to query or Google these to query Google which way to go. So and we have tried it both ways. And I would say cream, then jam. It just looks more pleasing to me. But yeah. I, I, they, they don't really listen to you when you, you say that optics don't mean a lot down in the West Country. 
<laughs> anyway, last week we put the uh, non-football chat at the end of the show, and although the listening figures didn't really show it, we thought it worked. Uh, so we're going to do that again this week, uh, as we do have two cracking interviews for you uh, first on the show. And the first of them is the work of my good friend Matthew Gerrard. I'm sure you'll all know by now that we're fed up with waiting for the National League to make a decision on the end of the season. And of course, we know it's not that simple. So this week we thought we'd get the inside track on what's going on from National League board member and Directorate Chairman Jim Parmenter. Matt started this belting interview by asking the most important question, how is Jim? Uh, well, it's, I'm doing fine, it's tricky. Um, obviously I'm in the uh, food supply business, so I'm working every day and uh, trying to keep the uh, the food supply lines going, but uh, all in all, not too bad at all. Yeah. Well, I think the last time I spoke to you was at the last game when Dover played Chesterfield and the game went ahead. Um, for, first of all, before we get on to Dover, we'll talk about the National League. Where are we at the moment? I see about, about must be about three weeks ago the league sort of ended, but there is still sort of yeah. confusion if the playoffs are going ahead because the Football League seem to want two promotions. Can you let us know where we're at with the National League at the moment because you're on the board? Yeah, I wish I knew, to be honest. I mean, I think, I think um, there are various opinions within the National League um, which are driven by... Um, as you would expect, uh, two or three clubs that think they, they uh, uh, should be promoted, um, pushing in one direction and threatening, uh, in some cases, legal action if they don't get their own way. And then there's the majority of clubs, uh, some have uh, different views, and uh, it's quite confusing. I think what the National League are waiting for is a signal from uh, the EFL, which which has been uh, quite confusing in, its, in itself as to what they're proposing to happen. Yeah, I see the the Football League is sort of... League 2 has finished, but they may have promotion. And you've got teams like Stevenage who would be relegated into the National League sort of saying this is not fair. Are you disappointed how long it's taken the Football League to work out a decision on this? Or is it, you know, it seems such a long convoluted method that we're going nowhere around in circles over the last month or so. Oh, believe me, if you'd have been sitting in the board meetings I've been sitting in, listening to the hours and hours of, um, of, of various opinions, uh, yeah, I'm disappointed in in in, uh, in what's happening. I mean, I don't think uh, you can come to a fair uh, finish to uh, the, the situation, uh, and I think anything that, that happens other than null and void is artificial and will be unfair. Um, I don't think you can be fair in these circumstances. I mean, there's 27 points to play for and nobody has won anything or lost anything at this stage. And I just think to somehow um, impose that in a false way is, is completely the wrong thing. Uh, you meant none and void. Would that mean that Barrow would not be promoted and the National League would stay as it is, you know, as it was in August 2019 and we start again whenever that may be? Yes, I think so. I mean, I mean, there will be those that disagree with it. But at the end of the day, Barrow won nothing. You know, I think you know, there's three, four teams that could could quite rightly claim that if the games were played with 27 points to play for, they may have overtaken Barrow. And you know, at the end of the day, what you're doing effectively is if you uh, promote somebody by some false means when they haven't actually won anything, you're handing them a million quid. And anybody that's going up, you're preventing from earning that million quid. And, and, and equally, if you if you relegate somebody, you're you're from the national league. You're taking eighty thousand pounds out of their uh, income for for next season, which which happens if you get promoted and relegated. But you know who's who's right to decide that other than on the football pitch? Who makes who will make the final decision on this? Is, is it the, will it be a, a vote to the board the the clubs again? You mentioned a few clubs, which I can probably the likelihood of maybe the Oval and Notts County want to carry on. On, but who will make, finally make a decision to end this so we can move on? 
Well, it should be the National League board, but I think I think the National League board are, are worried about um, about legal action and legal uh, responsibility, particularly individually. You know, they have the responsibilities directors, and I think I think there's been failed threats made in that direction from various people, uh, not necessarily the two clubs you mentioned, by the way, but. Um, it, you know, it really is a bad situation for the National League board. Uh, whatever they do, it will be wrong. And, and uh, you know, I just can't get my head around this, this theory that you can award somebody something when they haven't actually won it. Yeah. Again, did you get much support from the from uh, the FA on this sort of thing, or are they staying out of it? Um, well, the FA <laughs> don't tell you you can... T- what they will do is agree to something you propose if they can, but they won't actually give you rules and regulations around it. I mean, the FA, um, apart from their, um, you know, their rule book, they, they, they tend to sit on the fence. And, and I can kind of understand that because every league has its own rules and do things differently. So, so, so you, going back to final point on this matter, it, 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 will, will, will happen, but we don't know when, when it will make the final decision will be made. It's still waiting on the Football League, who seem to be thinking it could be another week to 10 days before they make a decision. So it's the knock-on effect you're waiting on. Yeah, and I mean, that's got other ramifications. And the worst thing that could happen is that we, we, we run this disaster into next season. I mean, it's highly likely that next season's uh, start will be delayed anyway. I mean, if it's going to start in the first week of August, that decision's got to be made in the next two two weeks, three weeks at the outside, because, you know, you've got to have pre-season and training and preparation, and, and I can't see that happening. So there needs to be decisions made very quickly so that clubs uh, can, can put themselves in the right position to try and, uh, you know, keep keep the, the season going next year, because it's all very well saying that, that uh, you know, promotes two up, two down is sacrosanct, but... You know, we've got to have a league to play in next season, and, and there's a lot of clubs in a lot of trouble. You mentioned about the the league next season. Has there been any thought about that? Again, you mentioned a lot of lower league sides and teams in the national league said so they couldn't play games behind closed doors. So, if there's not going to be a vaccine or anything there, when could you sit? See um, the national league actually starting again? Couldn't you, I know previously you said you can't see it being this calendar year. Do you think that's still the case? I think it's a good chance. I think I think it, it certainly won't be until the you know the very end of the year if it's this year. It, it, it's really a, I mean you're right. It's a non-starter to play behind closed doors at our level, and there's no uh, there's no real TV income. You know, streaming games wouldn't be a wouldn't be an earner for clubs. You know, and make no mistake about it. There's a lot of clubs at the moment. The government scheme, the, the furlough scheme, is is saving a lot of clubs and a lot of jobs. Uh, at the end of July, that scheme goes to 25%, uh, I believe is going to go to 25% contribution from the employer. Um, and that's when the uh, the problems are going to start because clubs have had no income for, what, four months by then? Mm. Five months, probably. Uh, and, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of... Uh, there's going to be a lot of clubs with a lot of challenges. You mentioned now, I think the Huddersfield chairman said that up to 50 or 60 clubs could go out of business. Are you, well, before we get on to Dover, are you fearful for a number of clubs will not be starting the season because they would have gone out of business and, and gone bust? I think, so. I think it's a very, very uh, strong possibility. I think, you know, you, most, this is an opportunity for football to actually um, take a really good look at itself. And, and what's happened here is all the cracks in the game and the structure and the finances that have been papered over for the last, you know, five, six, seven, ten years have become exposed. And, and as, as an industry, as a structure, the game is, is on its last legs. And, you know, when you see... Um, Championship clubs worried that they're going to go out of business and understand that that filters right the way down the, 
the scheme has got to be a really long, hard look at the structure and the expenditure. And and, and there's been too much money. There's, you know, there's various things that have caused it. But, but this, this situation is exposing it to, and it's raw now. As the National League talk about restructuring again, again maybe merging with League Two or maybe a restructuring of the National League with the with National League South as well. Has that been on the horizon? But I presume something like that it doesn't happen overnight. There has to be talks and uh, something couldn't happen. You know, maybe ne- next season, maybe season after that. Well, there's several things, isn't there? I mean, that's what, merging League Two and the National League is, is the most sensible thing that I've heard for ten years in football. You know, if you look at the situation in League Two and you look at the National League, that is what should happen. It should be regionalised. But the problem is that the the, um, the National League, the League Two clubs get a million quid a year, and the National League clubs get eighty thousand pounds a year. Now, unless there's some funding coming forward from the FA or or somewhere else, the, there's no way that League Two are going to accept uh, merging with the National League because obviously there, there will be a financial implication. And in terms of promotion places, the FA paid Division Two you know, several million pounds to get two up, two down when it happened. And League Two are not going to uh, are not going to vote for any, anything unless unless there's, uh, there's money in it for them. The other the other thing that needs to happen is there needs to be uh, a cap on uh, on wages at a sensible level. Um, you know these clubs playing one two million pounds uh, wages in the National League is you know, absolutely ridiculous. And, and the third thing that football could do is, is stop immediately dual representation by agents, which which is a licence to print money for agents and, and is killing a lot of clubs, uh, if you understand what I mean by dual representation. Well, is that both clubs? He's representing both clubs in the transfer, is it? So Club A and Club B well, run it, by the same... It, it, yeah, I mean, it's slightly the problem. It, the, the agent would represent the player and the club, right. which is basically a licence for the agent to say to any club, if you don't pay my fee, you don't get my boy at this, and right. if you don't pay the right money, he'll go somewhere else. So um, that's that's a, in my view, that's a you know a, a terrible thing. Along with parachute payments, it's ruined the game. But on to Dover. I know you know. Eighteen months ago, you made the decision to go full time, which I know. Yeah. Well, you mentioned before it was an expense to the to the club as well. Um, where, from a Dover point of view, you haven't had money in for the remaining four or five league games, whatever it was left. How is the club at the moment? Currently, I know the club's furloughed. You, you furloughed the staff. From a from a financial point of view, what sort of um, manner are Dover in at the moment? Um, well, still in business. <laughs> just, uh, just. I mean, I, 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 I've always run, as you know, I've always tried to make sure that the club has no really significant debt, and that remains the case. And I've supported that for fifteen years. Um, but you know, the, the, the situation is different for everybody now. Not only are, are clubs. Uh, going to struggle for income through the gate and from from other activities. Of course, a lot of the clubs at our level rely upon businesses to sponsor them, support them. Uh, you know, shirt sponsorship, match day sponsorship, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And a lot of those businesses we've got to accept when we come out of this, we'll be in no position to sponsor football clubs because they'll have their own challenges. And, and I think everybody in football needs to understand that. There isn't going to be a people lining up to sponsor football clubs in the, in, in the near future. And I think that that, uh, that connected means that we are going to have to take a long, hard look at how we uh, how we go forward financially. And it, what it inevitably means is there's going to be less money to spend. Yeah. You know, you've got a players on a couple of year contracts and full-time contracts. Um if you if they if you go in part time, how does it affect them? Does their contract come null and void? You have to come in agreement with them. So, is it a financial inspector get rid of players as well, or how does that work out? 
Well, it, 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 it's, you know, one has to be realistic and pragmatic. We're in a, this situation is we've got, I think we've got twelve players or something like that that are under contract for next year. They're not all on, um, they're not, they're not all top earners. Mm. You know, some are on uh, money which, uh, which would, would, you know, probably be reasonable. Some of them are, are, are on top money, and and you know, there's probably five or six players who are great players, fantastic people. Um, but when you look at where we're going to be, you, you, there's going to have to be a conversation with them to see how we can take it forward. Because if if we if we're held to those contracts next year, the likelihood is we won't be in business. No, right. uh, and do, do you think that you know, people said that player had the players have had the power now? Has that now gone out the window with the lack the, the wage that players are going to get? They're not going to get them anymore. No, I think there's going to be um, I think there's going to be all sorts of ramifications. I think there's going to be a lot of players that go out of the game. Because um, they can't get clubs. Clubs are going to have less smaller squads. Um, players that were earning sort of money that was full time or, or at a certain level, uh, some of the older players won't be able to uh, continue because they won't be able to pick up that sort of money. Um, and I think there'll be players going out of the game. I think there'll be players that, that have to accept that they're going to earn less, certainly in the short term, in the in the next couple of years until the game gets back on its feet. And you know, I think everybody's going to have to be pragmatic and reasonable because if, if people start, you know, making demands that are uh, not affordable in in the days where the club would would put itself in um, in trouble to try and meet the demands, uh, unfortunately, have gone. And I think the people that are really going to have to understand that are the football agents. And again, million dollar question this, but out of the 24 teams in the National League, how many would you say would have major financial difficulties at the moment? It's quite a full-time league. Do you see it going maybe back down the part-time route? I think some clubs will. I think it'd be different for everybody. Um, but I, I would think if you take, you know, you've had for some years now the, the, the parachute payment situation. Um, and, and you've got some big clubs with big crowds in, in the in the uh, in the league. And those clubs will fare better, and I suppose there's a half a dozen of those, or maybe a couple more, will fare better than most of the other clubs. And I think most of the other clubs, unless they've got, you know, almost billionaires now, it, it's not enough to be a millionaire in the National League now. You've got to be a billionaire to to, to actually um, compete at the top of top of it. Unless they've got that, then I think the majority of clubs will have challenges and issues that they've got to deal with, and it will be different for every club. But I don't think it's going to be easy for anybody. You know, you're you know you're, you're confident. You know, you, 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 you've been in football long enough. This is the most difficult time, but you just have to ride through it and hope the club come out the other side. Yeah, as I say, the big shame is I think it's a great opportunity for football to actually look at itself as an industry and as a structure. Um, but, because, uh, but they're not going to do it because there's way too much vested interest and, and it's too fragmented. You know, we, we talk about the, the, the EFL um, waiting for the FA and the, and the uh, sorry, the Premiership waiting for the FA, the EFL waiting for the Premiership, the National League waiting for the, for the EFL and everybody's waiting for everybody. And nobody's prepared to say, right, we need to take a really good look at this and actually think about how our industry survives in a, in a sustainable way as we move forward. And, and I think that's a great shame because it's an opportunity uh, there's loads to get stuck into in, in that what nearly 15 minute epic there, Matt. Um, Barrow have won nothing first and foremost. Yeah. When you listen to Jim there uh, again, Jim has got his critics out there, but I think um, for what he's done for Dover um, over the last 15 years, you have to uh, admire what he's done from that. And thinking about this, we keep going around in circles on this. Should Barrow be promoted? Should Barrow not? And when you say to it, 
the difference between the money you get in the National League and the money in the Football League, you can see why a lot of clubs might want null and void because Barrow would be given a million pounds, a million pounds to go into the Football League, um, according to Jim Parmenter. So rather than the £80,000 you've got. So I can see a lot of chairmen saying null and void because Barrow haven't won the competition. So why give them a million pounds? So I think Barrow probably will go up because the Football League will say, we want Barrow. Not that the National League want to give them to them, apart from Barrow themselves. So I can see where they're coming from that side. So it looks like Barrow may have won the lottery without actually buying a ticket at this rate or with nine games to go. They haven't bought a ticket. I've never been to Barrow, but it seems like an unlikely place that there's actually a genuine tug of war over. <laughs> but I, I didn't, again, from that interview we got from Jim, we didn't really find out too much. It seems to be that money is a big catalyst for all of this and all from the top. It's coming down crescendo from the top to the bottom. How are they going to do it? The Premier League's got to let the Football League know and vice versa and from there. And I'm thinking the Premier League seems to be taking an absolute ace to work itself out. We still be, could, could be going a long, long time before we even get a decision now. And as Jim said, at some point there's got to be a cutoff because there might not be a next season, but you've got to at least start planning for next season. What are your thoughts on it, on it Alex? I mean, obviously we've spoken a lot about how we think that the decision to, to get rid of the lower leagues was done too early, but also we have a belief that if it should be one for all and all for one. So all this waiting and to and fro is, is getting a bit annoying now. It is definitely. I feel the frustration of it's not just the fans, it's the clubs. That, and listening to Jim, you can hear there is some frustration in his voice as well. It is such a difficult one. There isn't a perfect answer. Trust me, if there was, then we'd have had it and everything would have been sorted out long ago. I understand and I, I agree that I think things have to link up in some way. It's It feels a little bit like this is kind of like trying to link Lego and Meccano and different kind of things with the Premier League and the, and the Football League and non-league as well. They've all got slightly different things they need to worry about. Um, non-league football, it's, it's, it's the crowds. It's, you, you need people there and, uh, um, and that's where your money comes from. In the Premier League, it's all about the TV. The, the gate receipts are pretty much insignificant in the grand scheme of things, very, very small percentage. And then you've got the Football League in the middle where it, it does make a difference, but you can perhaps get by without it. It's, it's incredibly interesting and it's, it's going to have to be sorted out sooner rather than later. I know the Football League, League One, I think, are voting this week. Uh, the Premier League, everything seems to be geared up towards a June 26th, Friday, June 26th start. Once Do you think that's taken an absolute place, age as well? It, it, it has. I mean, they, they obviously they want to get it right because you can only imagine the legal ramifications if they mess something up, if they rush it back, something dreadful happens. They want to get this absolutely right. And everyone's agreed. There's no perfect solution. They wish there was. It's, it's not going to happen. So it's going to be the least bad option that impacts the least number of people negatively. Um, and, and I think personally, if they're going to insist, and it seems like they are on promotion and relegation, then it's very, very difficult to, to, to say points per game because you're, you're losing a lot of what makes football great. The, the, the end of season escapes, the, um, the, the marches to the title, the collapses among the front runners and things like that. It's taken away a very, very great deal. And so I, I have a lot of sympathy with the, the null and voiders that would like to kind of start again. But the only thing you can be sure of is that every club is going to be in their own interest. That's the only thing that they're going to be voting for or worried about their own bottom line. 
well, I suppose that kind of brings us on to, to the rest of what Jim was saying. And he says, you know, Dover are, are just about hanging in there. And that's got to be a, a worry for not just Dover Athletic, but for a lot of clubs. And, you know, clubs like Dover are in Matt, a difficult position because, you know, they've shown that little bit of ambition. They've tried to, to, to push things. They went full time. And now they're kind of stuck in a situation where they're a full-time club in, in a league that technically is, is, is still a lot of part-time teams around. And, and, and it's going to be difficult to, to get through, isn't it? Unless, I think they made the decision to go full-time, which worked in their favour and they managed to stay up this season. They've had an OK season, I would say. Um, I think I'd be surprised if they didn't go part-time. If the, if the money they're losing out on sponsorship, on people bringing in, is that you look to go, right, we'll cut our cloths for a year, see where we are, and then go again. They have given a lot of players, as he mentioned there, two-year contracts, and some of the players who've left on the contract aren't on a great deal of money, and some people probably are on a great deal of money. So it may be that there's, for a lot of clubs, if they've got contracted players, because I think we probably said on this pod before, John, it's, you know, Dover had a problem that they lose a whole season team in the... um, in the summer, then they have to rebuild again, and that and that affects it. And last season, last summer, they went right. We're going to bring players on two-year contracts and see how it goes. And now that's that's the dilemma they've got, and the players who've got the dilemma have got who don't seem to have a lot of power now. From what Jim said, that basically we're not going to be training four times a week at Maidstone. We'll be play, We'll be training maybe twice a week, and they could be evenings. And a lot of players might want to do that. So, does the club have the power to rip up their contracts? It'll be interesting to see. And will the players have realised that maybe they're not going to get the money elsewhere? It's a real um, dilemma for them. But I think it probably would be best for them to go to part-time, you know, look at it where they are and maybe 12 to 18 months' time and look to maybe to go again. Because the money they've lost, go back to part-time. The part-time model worked before and maybe look at that. And I think you'll find a lot of sides, maybe not the big boys in this division, the Chesterfields, the Wrexhams and people like that will stay full-time because they probably will continue to get the gates and, uh, and people like that. But the sides, maybe in the southeast will look at a part-time model and I think that could be the way forward for at least 12 to 18 months. But it's it's really different, interesting times. But what I will say, I think Jim Parment has put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into Dover. So he will make the right decision which he thinks best for the club, no doubt about that. I wonder from, a, you say about players not having as much power or anything, I wonder... And we've kind of touched, touched on this before, but is there going to be a case where we've seen clubs in the Football League that are, are, are struggling a little bit, releasing players and saying, you know, we've got to make financial decisions. We, I mean, we saw Burton get rid of their long-serving manager for, for financial reasons. And, and I wonder if it might be another one of those situations where we're going to get a lot of players are going to be free agents and that will filter down and they'll be happy to come and play, not necessarily at Dover because it is in the... Uh, the back end of nowhere, but you know, somewhere like a, an Ebbs fleet, if they can sort of offer com- half decent competitive salaries, even on part time, is there a possibility that some really, really top quality players from the Football League might be on their way down into the National League? I, I would say that there's every chance of that, particularly if you look at the sheer numbers. Um, the, the Football League obviously is the trickle down system that we, we've always got. The, uh, um, the, the fact that there are hundreds and hundreds of players in League One, League Two that are all out of contract. If they can't sort themselves out and get playing again or, or or bin it off, then come July, it's going to be an absolute free-for-all when you've got players out of contract that potentially could be still talking about playing for their current club or, or, or being released into the 
into the ether. The interesting thing is going to be that how clubs set the budgets. They can only do it when they know how much season ticket money they've got, how much TV money they've got going to get. It kind of you all has to fit into place. And um, I know a lot of non-league uh, clubs involved in non-league football are thinking that we're not going to get to see anything like normality this this calendar year until we're looking into sort of January, February next year. And players will only sign up when they know which club, which division that club are going to be in how much money they've got to pay them. They're not going to be signing a piece of paper that will be A or B, depending on if C and D. It's it's all going to be set out in black and white. And and clubs, I think, are basically going to have to cut their cloth. Uh, this is a real wake-up call for a, a lot of levels of football, particularly at the top, but but certainly down in non-league as well. There there are some real big money sloshing around in, in certain leagues. And, and, and something like this, which no one could expect, you can't predict for it. There's, I mean, you can get insurance for it, but only a couple of people in the entire world did. Um, you, you really do need to sort of stop and take stock and think, how is this going to be sustainable going forward? Because the world's changed through this in, in terms of the way we live our lives, but the way we consume, watch, attend sports, join in, involved um, playing it ourselves as well. Everything is going to change and, and players will probably be surprised that there won't be quite as much money um, and the, the clubs are going to have to cut their cloth if they want to survive. We've, we've seen the Huddersfield chairman talking, I think, 60, 70 clubs potentially could go bust if they don't sort themselves out in the next couple of months, which kind of makes sense to me if you think four or five months of no income whatsoever. There's not many businesses in the world that are set up for that kind of thing. They don't all have huge cash deposits in the bank. They're, they're basically asset rich. They've got expensive stadiums and players that have value, but they don't have a lot of cash in the bank. And uh, and that's the, going to be the problem here. I think that is, you've hit the nail on the head there, and that was what I was about to say. I think a lot of these clubs are, are, you would look at them and say they're wealthy, but they're not wealthy enough to sustain a period of no income. And, you know, we, we see, obviously, the Premier League is all driven by the TV money and, and to a lesser extent, the championship and everything. But there's going to be people out there. Uh, and we'll hear later from, from Keith McMahon of VCD, and, and he'll be talking about various facets. But there's going to be... I suppose some clubs right near towards the bottom of the pyramid in the scaffold and everything, their outgoings might be absolutely minimal at the moment. If they've managed to get their players on, you know, sort of no contracts and if they are lucky enough to have it or, or pay very little rent on their on their ground and, and you know, then they've only got the utilities to come out. Uh, they some of it, There might just be a complete sort of flip reverse on it because I think there is a scenario where some of the, the clubs who you'd look at and say, that they're the, the, the poorer clubs at the moment, but they're the well-run clubs, I think they're going to be the ones who come out of this looking really, really good. And I can think of some clubs in Kent who, who you'd look at and say, really well-run club, that, that they've got the potential and you can see they might move up. But there's, there's also going to be some clubs maybe higher up the pyramid. Um, I'm thinking of, of one sort of roughly in between where you two lads are, um, who might come out of it looking an absolute mess again. Yeah, I think the community... Will, as Jim said there, he, he knows where the sponsorship is. Businesses sponsoring clubs, it's, that will be an issue. Sponsorship, it's going to be an issue. It's the, I presume, you know, you look at the football clubs in this period, normally from May to August, they're not getting much money in unless you have a, are they really? So there probably is a budget for that. It's just the, the extras that people are paying for your sponsorship, your advertising hoardings and, and things like that, what is here. And, and he did say about the government system as well. And he says, you know, Dover being furloughed and paying 80 percent of the wages for a lot of clubs is probably, you know, right. As long as you're sensible with that money, you're utilising, utilising the players, etc. like that. That has been an absolute godsend. When that ends, that could really put the cat amongst the pigeons, I would have thought, for, for a lot, a lot of clubs uh, from this thing. And again, we mentioned it before about 
leagues one and two, if it's £150,000 to carry on doing testing for these clubs in league one and two, you can see why some of the smaller clubs are saying, well, we're not going to pay that because, you know, it's not for our business model to lay out £150,000 and we're going to finish 12th and half the games we're involved in are going to be dead rubbers. So you can see where it's coming from. At some point, there's going to be a big bubble, burst, bang. And I don't know which way we're going to see it on which sides are going to stand on it. But it's interesting times ahead. But as he said there, he doesn't think there's going to be games in front of an audience for a while. I did read somewhere that um, I think Northampton, the 2020 cricket's coming up. When's that supposed to be? Is it July, August or something like that? They think they can get 1,500 people in the ground. I don't know how they're going to do this. But in that case, you could maybe, it seems like Dover, would they be okay? Because they get maybe less than 1,500. You might have to bit of social distancing. But could you still do it? If if, if Northamptonshire Cricket Club think they can get 1,500, power, 1500 people in a 2020 game, does that open it all up? Will there be a thing if they said that events of less than 5,000, will that think the National League, away you go? I don't, I don't really know. I think the thing on this, once the Premier League is done and dusted, maybe we'll know a little bit more, but you can't really see football for at least six, seven months at our level, I would have thought. Well, I was going to say, the, the it's going to be very interesting from everything I hear that it's, it's going, to be, going to be August onwards for a bit of 2020, but that will be, again, mainly, it's mainly TV, I'm afraid to say. It is, it is the cash cow that, that they all desperately need. Um, the players have been told, as, as, as far as I've been told, that 2020 will be the only thing played, no championship, no, uh, no one day. It probably will be a limited season. They won't be playing as many games as they ordinarily would. Um, and it will be mainly for TV purposes. Behind closed for, doors again? Well, this is the thing. As they're, they're planning on it, yes, because cricket clubs, again, very, very important gate receipts. This is similar to non-league football in terms of they, they need that thing because they're not going to be on TV. I know they're, they're all professional clubs, but um, the, the TV money doesn't make as much of a, a difference because not every game. You might get one or two on, on, on TV in a, in a season if you're lucky. Um, and the rest of it is is gate receipts very much. And um, they'll, they'll get something done, I, I'm pretty sure. But in terms of getting the people in the grounds, I just don't know that that's going to be possible. Um, certainly not in, in terms of those numbers, because social distancing is going to be the way forward. I can't see there's there's never going to be a time when they say, right, instead of two metres, it's one metre. It's it's either you do it or you don't do it. And and it's a lot easier with the, the diameter of a cricket ground. They probably came up with some kind of model to say, if you've got this person every two metres and one back and you can... You kind of almost lay it out like a um, like a Connect Four in terms of like you could fit 1,500 people around the edge of uh, a cricket pitch, socially distanced. Uh, but it wouldn't be an experience that anyone would particularly enjoy anyway. I wouldn't have thought. Um, it's it's certainly not going to be the, uh, the same if you kind of have it individual sat there. It won't look great on TV. I know that they're they're trying these things. I think in in Scandinavia they've got a limit on the number of people you can have at sporting events, and I think for maybe 500 and. Listen, there's probably going to be the best part of 500 people at a stadium when you televise a Premier League game anyway, in terms of all the crew, the staff of the clubs, the, um, the stadium, all the, uh, the technical people as well. There's going to be hundreds of people there. Um, but in terms of whether that's going to help us get football back, I'd love to think that you could certainly get a couple of hundred people at a scaffold game socially distanced. Um, I, whether they allow that to happen, I'm not so sure. I think they would say, right. Could be, well, I'm used, for example, the scaffold. Right, we're going to test it. You can have 200 people in and we'll test it out how it works. Do you think it is or is this is just from the top, we're only going to do it when everything's, you know, we're not going to test leagues out. How do you think they're going to do this? Because at the moment, I can't see football coming back. Well, you know, 
I just can't see how it coming back at our level. It was interesting, as Jim said. It's, it's I mean, the FA are basically um, kind of there to to listen to ideas from various different bodies and then say yes or no. And I, the scaffold would be a perfect example if you mm. wanted to use it. Of, of if I mean, if, if they went to someone and say, listen, we think we can do this. This is the way forward. This is the lifeblood of our. Non-league football is very much. It's more of a community thing. It's it's a very different ball game for me than than the the bright lights of the Premier League and the Champions League and everything else. These are these are community clubs. It's a it's a focal part of of, of small towns generally, and um and the people that go there, it, it's kind of a family feel to it. And I'm sure that if if Skeffel went and said, listen, we'll call it 200 people maximum, and we'll work out a way of doing it, um and let's just have it as a trial. I'm sure. Well, I'd hope like to think that it would be possible and every other league at that level throughout the entire country will be keeping all eyes on it and because it's very important it's important for getting the whole nation getting back into something like kind of normal life and into gear and um yeah it's i'd i'd, I'd love to think that they would say yes and give it the green light but we, we know where all the decisions are being made at the moment and it's going to have to come from the top i'm afraid my, my thing on it is and you'll probably hear this as well later on is non-league grounds the difficulty is going to be getting people actually into the stadiums anyway uh, and obviously because you, you would need to keep social distance from somewhere um, and obviously the two metre thing yeah it's, it's probably easier in a cricket ground where it's all seater uh, than it would be at Crabble for example where and uh, all three of us have been in the press box at Crabble it would be very very tough in there to socially distance wouldn't it mm-hmm. um, but uh, I think the the other difficulty would be if they said oh yeah we're going to pilot one league we're going to pilot the Southern Counties East League, and these are the five fixtures, or these are the ten fixtures this week, Though there will be more than 200 people at each of those games because people will just be so desperate to get out of the house, so desperate to get up to their, to their uh, to get their football fix. You know, I mean, Chatham got 900 people for for a league game this season, and and I think that would be that that would be the biggest problem. I think the the cricket is probably easier to do than it would be football at any level, and um, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah, I just think if, if, if football clubs will see that if Northampton have got 1,500 game for a 2020 game, they think, all oh, right, we can do something here. So there has to be some sort of decision made from goodness, goodness knows who by. But it, it, I think that's my concern is now for a lot of our clubs, you know, maybe the media, all they're worried about is the Premier League to start that again. I think at some point, as Jim said, you've got to decide what are we doing next season? We just can't sleep loitering around you know, and discussing from here. There's got to be a point, right, this is what's happening from next season. And I, uh, and maybe the Football League can think about that. If Leagues 1 and Leagues 2 go, right, let's just make a decision where we're going forward. Because at the moment, we're just going round and round in circles. If the Premier League starts, what, 26th of June, Hody said, well, when's that? That's going to take, what, two months to finish it? So that's yeah. the end of August before it... And of course... So you're not looking at a long time. I know Germany are ahead of the, of the pile here, but they seem to be very organised. They've even got games this week, so they're going to be finished by the end of June and we haven't even started. So There's a, there's a lot of eyes on Germany in, in terms of, certainly from the, the, the Premier League here, they're desperately following everything they do, yeah. trying to learn all the lessons and, and iron out anything before it even happens here, if, if that kind of makes sense. And one of the things that, that gets me... Matt, we were, it was only, it was the middle of March and we were sat there watching Dover Chesterfield and it's, it's still May. It feels like an incredibly long time, but that's been, what, two and a half months, not, not even two and a half months. And in two and a half months from now, I think the world is going to look very, very different. And, and we're, we're already seeing things being relaxed. Hey, you can go and 
see as many people as you like in a car showroom next week and uh, and you can you can pop you still can't see your family but you can certainly pop into primark there's uh, there's there's a lot of things that are getting loosened and and in time things will happen things they're talking about garden parties are, are going to be the next step in the, and that will be social gatherings and there might come a time in in weeks to come then when things do slightly start to relax but we've been on an incredible kind of roller coaster in, in that last two and a half months and and who knows really where the the twists and turns of this roller coaster will, will take us hopefully to somewhere a little bit flatter as you kind of come back into the uh, into the station at the end of your ride and we can start getting back to normal so if i take decisions are being made look they're looking beyond this season hopefully we're not hearing about that but they are thinking right where are we going where are we going next we've got to make sure rather than blocking at the station here because we're just going to finish this off, there needs to be a forward thinking for a lot of clubs, particularly at our level. Yeah, as someone said, going back to Hody's point, uh, that they, they're, um, they're still not allowed to see their families, but you can put your house up for sale. So uh, they put the house up on the market and their mum and dad were coming through viewing our passport um, <laughs> that day. But uh, that's one of those things. Well, let's move on then to our second interview uh, of, the, of the week. As we're not allowed to do nice things on bank holidays at the moment, we were supposed to be spending this week with our friends and our godkids. Uh, I've been on my phone instead a lot. Let's not talk about the Screen Time app, yeah? Uh, but while on Twitter yesterday, I saw an interesting chat involving a couple of managers and some supporters. I decided we'd get one of those managers on the show this week. So here is uh, VCD Athletic boss Keith McMahon. And my first question to him was simply, how do clubs like VCD get through this? It's difficult, if I'm honest with you, because obviously VCD is just not a football club, is it? It's a massive social club. They have huge tennis and, and bowls sections as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's obviously we've applied for grants like everybody else and we're lucky we've got an unbelievable chairman in, in Gary Rump that sort of um, sort of fronts it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult for a size of VCD because, um, like I said, we, we, we get a lot of revenue through the bar and the hall hire. Um, so through the summer and, and cup finals not being played, it's, it's, it's been a big blow to the club. When you look at things like the Huddersfield chairman saying he thinks football league clubs are, are in danger of going under, is, is that a problem you see in non-league as well? I think if the FA, you know, doesn't help out a little bit more, and I, and I know the grants have been great this year, um, that have been out there for Sport England and etc. And, and, you know, your pitch maintenance and obviously what the government gave for, for, for small businesses. But... Um, yeah, I think if, you know, I don't think football can start behind closed doors at non-league. It, it's a, it's financially just will not work. Um, so I think you will see a few clubs. But to be fair, I've spoke to quite a lot of managers over the last few weeks and, and I've been surprised with how many of them have said that, that their club's in a, in a quite a good situ- sort of situation going forward. So um, I think nowadays clubs have run a little bit better than, than what they used to um, and they look at the sort of they plan for maybe a few years in advance than, than just the one but there are going to be some that, that sort of solely rely on gates and, and, and bar takings that will struggle yeah I mean you said about behind closed doors it is, it is an option in, in the Premier League I suppose but at this sort of level it just won't work will it because the, the, the fans coming into the game is, is what gives the club everything it needs on a match day yeah, it's impossible to play, I think, behind closed doors. I've seen sort of some of the bigger clubs saying they could stream the games, but, you know, your income is, is what comes through the gate to pay even just the officials. And then, obviously, your bar takings for a lot of clubs is major. And, um, you know, Londy football is about the spectators. So, you, you know, if you ask every fan, they can they can get right close up, up to football where they can't in the Premier League. And if you take that away, it's, it's you know, you're, you're talking just like a Sunday morning atmosphere and, and I don't think you can you can do that 
You've said obviously about uh, we'll talk shortly about next season. But what did you think of the decision to to end the season that would have finished now in the manner it did? Yeah, for me, it was the right decision. Um, I think everyone sees that. I think it was the only fair way across the board. Obviously, I feel for the teams at the top. I don't think anyone can get relegated on a points per game aspect. I don't think that's right. Um, and no one, you know, there was, I think there was only three teams in the country that, that was, I thought was guaranteed to win the league when you've got a quarter of the season to go. So I'm not a believer of points per game. At, at our league, it's not in the rules and obviously... The void was, um, but I, 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 you know, I, I think the rules. You have to start the season with the rules and, and finish the season. So, for safety as well. And I think at the time, a few people might have thought it was um, premature. But now, when we're sort of twelve weeks down the line, I think it, it was the, the, the correct decision to make. And when do you think we're going to see some football in Kent again? Uh, realistically, I don't think we're playing till January. Um, with what I mean, I'm, I'm obviously I'm, November would be good. I, I was saying myself yesterday. It, I, I know it's difficult for leagues. I, I'd like them to sort of give you some sort of date and say, look, we're, we're looking to, to start in say the first of November, but so you can plan something, and then obviously you know we'll have to review it month to month if they have to move it back. It just gives you a bit of hope and a bit of belief there's something there because at the moment you know you're just up in the air. You can't really talk to club. You can't arrange anything. You know, you can't really talk to players because you don't know what you're doing financially. You don't know what you know you're doing yourself, if I'm honest. So it is difficult. You just you just want to try and get a little bit of of, of hope, sort of, in the horizon. And I, I did see you say on on Twitter as well. You you can't see non-league clubs being involved in the FA Cup next year, which is is, is a massive thing for for clubs at your level. Huge, yeah. I can't, you know, it, it's logistically it's impossible if you don't start in August. Um, for the teams, how can you? Because it's every two weeks for, for teams in, at that level. So, you know, if you do decide to start in November, December, you're, you're missing out all the rounds of non-league. What I am hearing on the grapevine is that they're going to sort of, you'll get a share of the FA Cup money across the board, which again would help. But, you know, everybody's dream and as a manager and as a player, of hoping to have a great run in the FA Cup. And, you know, if you look at a couple of clubs, non-league, you know, it's, it's, especially in the Eastern League of, of Malden and Chichester that have sort of earned, you know, around £200,000 last year. It can make your club, but it's just, you know, it's unprecedented times. And I just think just for the sake of one year, if you could get back playing football, it, it, I think you, you would overlook it. So what do you reckon if, if you start January at half season maybe for next year and then just sort of get back to get back to, to speed for, for next September, next no, September? I, I, I'm pretty sure that, that what I'm hearing, if, if the season starts in January, that you would play a full, full league programme. I think the season would finish late in, in either sort of June, July, and you would play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. There'd be no League Cup, um, and you would just play it that way, and they would play all, all, all your 36, 38 games. And would you, be, would you be up for that? Would you think that would be all right? Yeah, 100%. I'd rather play a proper season than, no se- than, than, than sort of a, a mixed season, if I'm honest. Um, but you know, I think I think everybody would just like to see a game of football somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure we can. You know, we've, we've, they would need 19 weeks, and from Christmas you would fit that in. And um, just final, see uh, a sad week last week for for the club and and for Kent football with the passing of Martin Ford. Yeah, he was a close friend of mine. He brought me to to VCD as a uh, to do their youth side um, sort of 20 odd years ago, 23, 24 years ago. 
Um, and what he'd done for the club was unbelievable. And you know, people rightly saying he was Mr. VCD. He's got it to the you know to a point where the club was you know is now. And obviously, you know, I know the chairman Gary Rump has been there you know about eleven years. Just took it on even further, and, and it's unbelievable. But Martin took us to a sort of like I said, a, a ground that was like a Sunday morning ground to a to a uh, you know to Kent League status and what he'd done around the area and and the players was was, was unbelievable and um, yeah he's you know he's he's going to be a massive loss for 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 people who've been in Kent football and um, you know I know the family really well and and it was a sad 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 moment what the, what the family's gone through in the last two years has been unbelievable and you wouldn't wish you know wish that on anything but the strength for the rest of them is is, is been brilliant and uh, I know everyone at VCD that knew Martin is is sad and upset and um, you know he, he, his legacy will, will go on. Uh, we'll talk about Keith and VCD shortly, but firstly, of course, we should pay tribute to Martin Ford. Uh, as I said there, guys, a, a loss not just to VCD, but to football everywhere in the area. Yeah, I think I, I didn't know much of him, but there's a lot of, you know, when he was ill, there was a lot of outpouring of love for him to, to do well. He managed with his son, didn't he? So, yeah, um, one of them. Um, also, Colin Boswell as well, who died, didn't he? The mm. head of Kent FA. Well, you know, I knew him from going to matches. He always had his sort of his Moscow, Moscow hat on. So always very friendly man as well. So yeah, a couple of um, big losses to the Kent football community this week. And, um, you know, our thoughts with them and their friends and family. As, as we just, we touched on a minute ago, non-league football and, and, and grassroots football, it is, it's a real family thing and it's a community. And, and, and both those guys, it's just a shame that they're, people, when they're lost, are spoken about so nicely afterwards. You just kind of wish that they could hear these wonderful things that have, have come out of so many people's mouths this week. And, in paying tribute to them and uh, and hopefully they they knew just how much they were appreciated and, and loved while they were here. Yeah, I think Martin uh, and the and the work he did at VCD cannot be understated because you know they are one of the smaller clubs in that league and they wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the great work that he did at the start as well as uh, what Keith just said there. There were tributes on social media from Kevin Watson of Cray Valley PM, uh, Cray Wanderers chairman Gary Hillman, and current Summerage Wells boss Richard Styles. Uh, Keith also hosts co-hosts the uh, DNK Repost Monday Night Football Show uh, online. Last night I had a brilliant chat with Martin's son Joe, who's been through. Uh, plenty himself in the last 18 months as well. Uh, we've tweeted the link out to that show, so do have a look at that. Uh, and as we say, our thoughts are with um, with Joe and the rest of his family on the sad loss of Martin and, of course, Colin Boswell and everybody uh, who knew him uh, at this difficult time because these times are even more heightened because of what's going on. But VCD Athletic, uh, as I just said, they're, they're a club who punch above their weight to be where they are, I would suggest. Uh, Keith McMahon's doing a good job there. He, he, he speaks very well. And uh, he thinks that you know that they've got they've got the f- the future to come back. Yeah, I, I, as you mentioned um, previously, certain clubs, if they're well run, not spending too much money on players, maybe dot them over contracts, you can probably work it through that we will be all right. Again, again, what he said there is the planning for next season, which is a bit concerned because probably. Middle of March, normally you're talking to players about next season and how you're going to tinker your squad together. But they've been going for a long time. They're at a decent level. And I think the football managers just want to get back doing what they can do. And they're not going to jeopardise their club by spending over money that they haven't actually got. I think a lot of clubs just want to get back on the field and go from there. It's going to be a difficult season, whatever it will be next year. But... As we always say on this pod, John, there's a lot of people who've got a lot of love. They're not in it for themselves. I think they're in it for the club and the love of football. And they'll make sure that continues. 
I would agree with that as well. That, that there are a lot of people that, that it's, it's not just their, their love; it's their money as well that they put into these things, and it's not. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a real labour of love, but they they they've committed financially to it as well to to keep the clubs afloat and and we'll do whatever it takes to to get through it. Um, VCD are a, a fantastic sort of characterful club as well, and uh, and one of these interesting ones because obviously there are loads of bigger fish floating around you, but it takes real um, kind of character to to kind of be a part of that that community club and uh, and and the players there they all feel that bond as well. And as you say, they were doing so well. It's <clears throat> such a, it's a fantastic. I love that uh, the the Eastman Southeast Division is is so good. They probably would have obviously wanted to carry on playing. They had a, just an outside shot of the playoffs. I think I played a couple of games more than a couple of, a couple of teams. But it's the lifeblood of of, of non-league football is those people. So you can't play behind closed doors, as you as you said there. And an interesting point you made as well. Streaming. We heard uh, we heard Jim Palmer to mention it as well that there are certain clubs with big fan bases where you probably could think about playing behind closed doors but there are enough supporters hundreds of people that you could basically rely on to pay 10 15 quid just to to fund it just to, to kind of keep them going to make up for those uh those turnstiles not ticking around and um vcd unfortunately not one of them i don't think you can uh, you can rely on that kind of uh, an income as well but there are clubs that um certainly in dover's division that you think that that might be workable it might be a a solution certainly in terms of getting some games on that uh, at some point, whether that's January for the start of a of a twenty twenty one only season, it would be very strange not having the the slash in between two years if if that's the way it pans out. No, I would say he mentioned about the season. He's heard that start January and you play all through the summer and complete a season in time. I know people complain about games at some point. Again, with the Euros being on next season, you've got to be careful as well at the back end of the season when the Euros start. People might not go and watch their team because they can. See it on the telly. I know it's a, a difficult one. I think the league have got to think about this as well. We've said about before, if it does start, don't cram it all in. Maybe if you have to extend it to a certain point, maybe have a break, etc. like that, do it from there. But, you know, what, a 38 league season in, what, how many weeks would it be? Six weeks, 18 weeks, is it? Something like that, six months? Could that be a little bit more tough on some of these players I know well, there's never any bad well. weather is there I was going to say that that is exactly the problem there's going to be so much bad weather have we ever gone through a February and a March without stacks of games being called off and we'd have teams playing Saturday Tuesday Thursday by about their ninth game of the season it's, it, it, it would be very very strange if they did that but that, that's kind of the, 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 the thing that's come out of that interview we've spoken so much about last season uh, or this season, whatever it is now, but we do need to start thinking about yeah. next season because football's got to restart at some stage. Now, my view on it always is and always has been that we should have waited and and just that if the, if we're going to have a season that doesn't really count, it should be the 2021 season. If we're going to start in January for for non-league clubs, I'm sorry, half a season. Let's just play everybody once. Luck of the draw, whether you're home or away. Um, you know, like it used to be in the in the county championship, you're either at home or you're away. It's it's one of those things. It's a one-off. We've all got to adjust, and I think that's what we've got to do. Yeah, hundred percent agree. I think we've got to the leagues. <laughs> We've got to know where we're going forward, but any rash decisions are going to play 38 games in in four months needs to be really looked at. And the thing is, we need to know what's going on, but don't make rash decisions. The leagues have got to think, right, where are we going to do this? That's the decision to make in period. They've got to make it. But as they can't even make a decision this season, my fear <laughs> is we'll just keep going round and round and round in circles. 
bless him keith just sounded to me like a man that is desperate to get out of his house an extra few times a week and uh, and it is it's a fantastic idea and a lovely notion but as as we said there's going to be postponements the problem is if you're playing that number of games in that amount of time there's going to be injuries there's going to be suspensions it's going to make things very very difficult put people will get football fatigue as well you you're relying on people to come and watch you every week but if you're playing twice a week then they're not going to necessarily come to every game either and there are a few things i, I agree wholeheartedly with with john i think toss of a coin you're home this year home away Let's not write off more than one season with an asterisk next to it. I think probably null and void this one, then you try and have a, a, a full one next year if that's possible. If it's not possible, then you basically just try and get back as close to normal as you can. And, and as you say, half a season, home and away, that's the fairest way to do it. And um, and it's I think that would be enough to keep clubs going and uh, uh, and, and players, you'd have to come up with a, a way of negotiating contracts that to, to pay them half, essentially. But I think it's got to be the way forward for the, for the good of the game. And then alternatively, uh, if you've only got to pay your players, if, if there's clubs out there that have got a half-decent backing uh, who've only got to pay their players for 20 weeks as opposed to 40 weeks, there is going to be some serious money floating about at some of the bottom leagues. I mean, we're already hearing um, that Chatham have, have made a, a move to sign Dan Bradshaw from Sheppey. Well, if they've got the money there, Chatham, they could be looking at players from above and saying, well, look, for this half season, we can give you X amount a week. And players will be thinking, well, hang on, I'll have a bit of that. And I think we'll see some teams that are well run and have got a little bit of money behind them will be able to just chuck money at it. And, and I think the, the half season would be the most brilliantly competitive leagues we would see in, in a long, long time. Also, you've got to think of a playing punter as well. You know, eighteen pounds to watch the national league and going downwards. Crikey! Will that will clubs will clubs have to say right? A because people won't have enough much money as they had previously. Will the will the, the national league say right? Make minimum we will charge you charges X Y Z. So people, if they've got to go and watch football every other week, or if they're playing numerous games, people can't afford to do it. So I think. It could be a knock-on effect as well. The cost of football, which we know is quite high in this country as well. Could you think that could come down as well? I think if they're going to do... There's there's a lot of talk about salary caps as well. And if you're going to put a cap on every club in a division on the amount that they're allowed to play to pay their players, I think there should be a similar cap on the amount they're allowed to charge their fans to come and see it. And, and yes, there'll be, I know there are geographic discrepancies and, and the, the cost of living in Dover is very different than it is in Barrow, but... There's a there's a there's a medium ground somewhere that you can find that is a reasonable price to charge that will keep everyone afloat and try and get that playing field as level as possible and I think that would be a good way I don't know with the the Premier League have, have managed to cap the away tickets and that's a it's been a really good thing and and that kind of thing I think would would really help as well because it's it's it, it's a it's a real one you need people to keep coming through because there's a lot of older fans at non-league football as well you need to get the the kids in and there are a lot of good initiatives and, and community days that they have. But I think it needs to be every week of the season. You need to have some incentive to come and, and, and keeping the prices as low as possible, I think, is the way forward. Yeah, you just uh, I, I agree with you completely on reducing the ticket prices, but you did talk about salary caps in there, and that's something I kind of don't agree with because I think that it, it's unpoliceable in, in a lot of cases as well. And the one thing I like about football is it's not that level playing field. I, th- I think that is one thing, you know, that it, you can... If, if you've got the backing, you can you can go somewhere with it. You, you know, I know you like all this fancy down American stuff, Holy, where, where it's like that. And, you know, it, it all works like that. But I, I read it. There was a thing on Facebook oh, three or four weeks ago uh, in a non-league group that was somehow it appeared in my timeline. And someone was saying that um, clubs like um, 
filed and forest green don't deserve to be where they are because uh, they're not traditional clubs like Chesterfield and Wrexham who should be higher up. And it's like, that's not how it works because the, the irony being that he was, it, this person was moaning at them throwing money at the things. It's like, well, but the only reason that Chesterfield, Wrexham, Chester are in the situations they're in are because they've been so badly run. So it doesn't just seem, because you've got history, it doesn't mean you're exempt from having bad owners. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely right as well. And also, it depends on how you spend your money. That's one of the, the nuances of football. You can have all the money in the world, but if you spend it badly, then you're going to end up below a team that's not got a lot, but spends it well. You know, on the salary cap thing, would that be that everybody in David League's salary is, is say, 500,000, which probably isn't going to be, but so even the likes of Chesterfield would get 4,500 every week, Wrexham, but they would be only allowed to pay 500,000. I would have thought to do with their be linked turnover. to turnover. But you, you can get away with this. That's Man City's problem where they say basically somebody gives them an £80 million sponsorship deal, which they don't really give, or then it comes from there. So it, I think policing it could be an issue um, more from that because there will be ways of getting around it. I think there probably is ways of getting around playing players in non league at the moment. You brought up American sport, Hody, um, and we know it's your one of your, uh, your, big, uh, your big loves. Uh, obviously, it's the off-season for uh, for uh, the, the game they call football, where they chuck a thing in the, around. Um, but is there anything we can learn from what they're doing? Is there some sort of uh, process of, of trying to get games played at Disneyland in basketball? So, yeah, that's that's one of them. In the in the same way that we've had the conversation about a kind of a, a an isolation complex, so basically one stadium for the Premier League might hold a, a few games over a weekend and basically have some safe hotspots where people are able to to kind of stay locally, they can basically put them in a bubble and keep them away from from the great unwashed. And um, that's very much the same. The the, the wide world of sports in Florida at uh, Orlando, um, they have the facilities. Um, they've obviously got a lot of hotel rooms, empty hotel rooms around. Um, it's basically a closed site. Well, they can make it a closed site. It's closed at the moment. Um, they've got fantastic arena there, which which hosts sport throughout the year. No professional sport there, but a lot of um, kind of uh, almost you call it show business sport sporting events um, but yeah so it is a possibility that they could have it there again it's going to be behind closed doors but you've got everything on site to to play in a, in a kind of a, a vacuum really in a, in a neutral environment you'd have your tv crews that are based there and then you can basically bring the the different teams in on a, on a rolling conveyor belt to, to play as many games probably get two or three four even on a on a day get them get them done get them on tv which is what unfortunately it's all about and uh, and then crack on with the next day, and that's a way the NBA was was kind of qu- quite nicely poised. It was getting towards the end of the regular season, which does go on too long. It's 82 games, um, and heading towards the playoffs. But the playoffs are where the big money comes in, and the big TV uh, viewers uh, come in as well. The top eight teams in, in either conference, and they're desperate to get that done. American football, which you you briefly mentioned, that's in a slightly they're in the off season. The Super Bowl was in February, and they shouldn't really be getting going until August when the preseason starts there. And they're being very, very cautious. No one basically has been allowed to, to set foot in any facility. They're all in different states, which makes it a little bit more complicated. They've all got different rules in different states. Some will say, go and do whatever you like with whoever you like. And others will be like, no, you're still staying at home. Um, but they're, they're very much on, on plan. They're selling tickets for games, which start in September, um, with the proviso that it might have to be refunded and you might have been going to this game. But we'll take your money now if that's OK. Um, and yeah, business as usual, planning for a, a September start. So they could have, we could have moved. I think it was talk of moving the Premier League to Singapore or Australia, and we're playing all the games out there. I'm surprised. 
that hasn't been um, taken up by now, or at least some of it, to get more money. But it, 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 it's, a, it's well, basically, we're living in such a strange situation. If we'd have said a year ago that we'd be recording the pod about this, we'd have probably said we were absolutely mad, wouldn't it? So, but, if, we, if you took that in January, I, knew, yeah, I never yeah, would have yeah, believed yeah. it. So, uh, very interesting. Anyway, let's move on. We've got a couple more bits of news uh, in and around. Uh, well, in town, change of manager uh, for the Scaffold. Uh, Premier Division side. Uh, they have announced a new management structure. Danny Wakeling, who appeared on the show uh, earlier in the season, uh, left the club earlier this month. Uh, and they've been working hard. And, and uh, after uh, a couple of weeks of looking, the, they decided that the chairman, uh, Kevin Oakes, who's also been on the show, is going to be the new manager. He will return to the dugout as first team manager, assisted by Tristan Cropley. Hello, Tristan. I know you listen to the show. Uh, and Peter Gill. Uh, Kevin, according to uh, the Skeffel website, uh, started the club in 2014 and from the touchline led them to successive promotions and a place in the Kent County League. Uh, and then as chairman, he saw his side progress to step, far, step five and now takes his place in the hot seat once again ahead of next season. Uh, Cropley returned to the club. He has a deep affection with uh, and now in a more prominent role. Uh, and he is a trusted aide that will help sustain the boots and make them an attractive side to both play for and watch. Uh, while Pete Gill arrives at a higher pedigree of coaching at higher levels. And uh, within the academy game, he was uh, first. He had a first team role at Hemel Hempstead um, before this. So uh, very interesting uh, to see what's going to happen there. Um, I suppose he's not going to sack himself, is he? <laughs> Strange things have happened in football. Well, exactly. Uh, and another story which I've just found uh, on the uh, on the Kent Online website, um, which is, I mean, we don't. We don't cover the uh, the Kent County League. I just want to make that clear um, because we don't. Uh, however, apparently Kent. Um, Kent County League Division Three Central and East Side Gillingham Town, uh, who play at Bourne Park and Sittingbourne, uh, have got uh, former Arsenal player De Nielsen has become an ambassador of the club. Uh, I mean, d- d- did you know that there was a club in playing in Sittingbourne called Gillingham who have, have got big links with Brazil, lads? Uh, I didn't know there was a third county Southern Eastern Division <laughs> League, to be honest. So that's quite impressive. Um, I had read somewhere before. Is it something? Because is it the Arsenal director of football, Edu, is involved somewhere? Is it, is it all linked to do with him? Apparently, yeah. I think Gilberto Silva's son plays for them as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, so, that, yeah. yeah. But yeah, there's a, every day is a school day. Eh? But uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on, on that. And uh, you never know, in four years' time, they might be in the... Uh, in the scaffold division one and then we'll be talking about them so anyway um we've talked about football enough now let's talk about uh, general life um how is lockdown treating you at the moment alex uh it is it is i, I mean I'm, I'm used to it now i'm not going to say that I, I particularly love it but we've had the whole conversation about um so my other half's a primary school teacher and my little girl is in year r at primary school and so they are as of next monday both going back um and uh yeah we've we had the conversations about it. it didn't last particularly long it was kind of pretty much set in stone but um it's it's it feels like another step towards a little bit more normality the school uniform will be going on we'll be doing packed lunches and and it will look be this is all felt like a really weird strange kind of bank holiday-ish time and um so yeah that will be i'll, I'll probably welcome that structure to the days anyway a little bit more next week and Matthew, what about yeah, year six people is also going back. Is, is Megan going back or have you made the decision she's staying at home? Uh, they, they, she is due to go back on the 8th, not the 1st. Um, the school basically haven't been, they're not too impressed that they have to go back. So at the moment, we've yet to make a decision, but it's very likely that um, in some way I will be carrying on doing her education. 
I had, a, I had a brilliant. This is how they should do it. Like this is this is my opinion as as a, as a non-parent. Um, why? Because a, a friend of ours, uh, they they're not sending their son back because they they went past the school the other day and they're all sat there. They're not socially distancing, and their plan is apparently they were going to do uh, get in at nine o'clock and then till twelve o'clock they were just going to talk about the news and everything that's been going on. Then do an hour of English, an hour of maths, and then home at two. My idea was they should say every class split it down the middle and say right half you in in the morning half you in the afternoon and then that's the way you do it then you've got reduced class sizes less less risk of fewer kids in the school and you know parents parents who are happy to keep their kids at home which are lots of would still have would still be able to send them for half a day and I, I think that would be much better no I, th- I think that's pretty much what it's going to turn into I mean some schools that they're, they're all they're all doing bubbles basically so that there will be it won't be like it was before. The classes of, of 20, 25, 30, in some cases, they're not, they will all be split up into, into smaller bubbles. So they'll probably be around, I've heard from between seven, eight, nine in a bubble to something like, I think the school that we go to, I think it's 13, 14. This is, if everyone says they're going back, I've got a feeling that most people won't be going back from the very small amount of um, kind of research that I've done into, into other parents and things. I think probably more than half won't. Um, but it will be again limited so they'll go in slightly later they'll stagger the arrival times the thing that the biggest risk really seems to be among the parents the congregating the dropping off and the picking up um it's not possible to socially distance a four-year-old or five-year-old i've been trying to do it as much as 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 possible if they're all in a playground together um uh, even if there's sort of 10 or 11 in a bubble they're not going to stay two meters apart it's just not possible so you kind of have to accept that those children will be in a in a basically in the, in the same bubble as all their friends the teacher the teaching assistant and also your your own immediate family and what they will do is keep the bubbles apart so um my my little girl with her 10 or 11 people perhaps will be kept apart from the the next bubble the b bubble or the c bubble of the year one children or the year six children they won't come into contact with anyone else and there's no guarantees about social distancing they've made that very clear at our school but they will keep the the distance between the bubbles so it's weighing up the pros against the cons and we'll give it a couple of days and see how see how it goes if she hates it on the first day and it's not normal which i don't expect it will be it might be one and done yeah the condenser would be at the classes of six where we were and they basically said basically they haven't the headmaster hasn't been particularly positive about it i don't think he agrees with it so mm. um our, our feeling is that if it, it, from what he said, it basically glorified babysitting her for yeah. four hours. So maybe that she comes here, that they, all the work they will be set. They said that there'll be the same work that's sent home to via the, the, the system that we use. So I, I just think it's not the consensus being not many, as you say, not many people are going to send their kids back. So I think at the moment she's not too keen to go back. Of course, she's missing her friends, but. I think she'd probably rather just be here and rather than just not worrying that you've touched another child, etc. like that. So um, it's very unlikely we'll send her back. It is. I'm, I'm sure that there, there's not a single teacher or head teacher that particularly wants this to be happening. I think everyone's been told for it, that it's going to happen. And, and it is. It's going to be babysitting. It's basically going to be someone to mind your child so you can go back to work and kickstart the economy, I think, is pretty much the plan. It's just they can't come out and say that. I mean, obviously, that's um, changing the subject a, a little bit. We're, this isn't a political uh, podcast in any way, shape or form. Um, but all I'm going to ask, um, and you're more than welcome to, to give a one word answer to this. Uh, 
do you really think that uh, Boris and Dominic expected anyone to believe that absolute hogwash yesterday? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but this, this, this state, my theory is that maybe nobody's ever said no to Boris, so he just carries on regardless anyway. I just like I said yesterday on on Twitter, we were. I thought we were getting quite united at the start of this, but now we are completely divided again because some of the people on Twitter are saying this is all about Brexit. This is all about no, it's not. It's about a silly man who broke the rules and keeps lying about it and won't say sorry. Anyway, we've prattled on for quite a long time. There is just one more thing that I need to talk about this week on the Kent Only podcast. Uh, if you listened all the way through last week, you will know that we ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. I was going up to the cat shelter to see if we were going to have a second. Uh, four-legged furry resident moving in uh, in the coming uh, in the coming weeks and uh, I can reveal that uh, in the hours after that conversation the uh, second four-legged uh, resident did indeed move in she's currently on trial her name was as I discussed last week the ridiculous pancake uh, she is now known as Ruby which is much more sensible uh, but I'll tell you what lads you with your human children you do not know you're born I have had a torrid week. I've barely slept because Ray, our existing cat, we don't want to put him out. He's allowed out. He can do what he wants. So for the first uh, three nights uh, that Ruby was here with us, uh, she was locked in the sort of bedroom hallway area and she could have come in this office if she wanted to come and do a podcast. Uh, I don't think she's that keen. Um, and Ray was allowed to roam the living room, conservatory, kitchen and go out the, the cat flap. So... Uh, in order to make sure that uh, he wasn't too put out, uh, it was decided that I would sleep on a blow-up bed in the living room uh, so that Ray had some company if he wanted it in the night, um, which was fine. It was all right. We, we got on. It was all right. Uh, last night, however, we, because Ruby's now getting more confident, she's allowed out and around the place. Um, she, um, We've now got the cat flap on, so he can, Ray can come in, but, he, but no one can go out. So if Ray wants to go out, we have to physically open the door and let him in. And last night, the little bleeder worked out. If he comes in really quietly, the cat flap doesn't shut properly. So he managed to get in, have something to eat, and go back out again. So I was like, well, when he comes back in, what I'll do is I'll just lock the cat flap behind it, make sure it's shut, and I'll come to bed. And uh, he went out about 12 o'clock. He came back in at 2. He came in, had something to eat. There was a bit of a standoff between the two cats. And then he went, and and he was like, he was at the door meowing. Um, So I... I'd come to bed, I'd get back up, let him out. I thought, I'll only be gone 10 minutes, he'll be back. Four o'clock this morning, I was still up, trying to negotiate with the cat, going to him, it's still light, would you please come indoors? I want to go to bed. It's getting light now, Ray, please come in. And eventually, uh, he did come in. But I tell you what, you you just don't know. You you, you don't know. Like, it, yeah, all right, but you've got two kids. They were what? Megan was two when Georgia came along. But I can guarantee you that the day you brought Georgia home, she didn't go and live under the bed for weeks and start meowing at you all the time, did she? No, as Holy you probably know, with the second one, we just basically got on with it. And uh, the first one, you molly coddled all the way the second one went straight to bed at seven o'clock each night even if she screamed the house down so um oh, if you've got another cat mate just let him get on with it that's my theory <laughs> it's, it's 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 the introducing it introducing a, a cat to another cat is much harder than introducing children because like you know they'll kind of get each other but there's yeah there's hissing and separate food and and stuff but at the moment she's a week into her uh into her trial and we've said we'll, we'll have another week and just check everything's going all right and then 
I, we've kind of fallen in love with her. She's a, she's a gorgeous little thing. She's she's absolutely my uh, absolutely diddy. But um, but yeah, she's she's getting on all right. So yes, we are back to our. Uh, some would say full complement of four here in Eastbourne. Anyway, thank you everybody uh, for listening to today's show. This is, I think it's probably turned into the longest podcast we've ever done. Uh, thank you to Matt and Alex for joining us as well. As always, uh, Matt, you're you're marvellous at this. Hody, you're okay. You can come again maybe one day in the future. <laughs> thank you very much. It's very kind. No worries. Uh, we can find us on social media uh, on Twitter. We are at Kent NL Podcast. I am at John. Fitz81, Matt is at Matthew underscore Gerard, and Alex is at Alex Hode Sports. Uh, you can find us uh, the podcast on Facebook as well. If you search for the Kent Nonley podcast, uh, you will find us on there. And of course, you're always welcome uh, to get in touch with us. But for now, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, thanks to Jim Parman, so thanks to Keith McMahon, and thanks, of course, to Matt and Alex. And we will speak to you all soon. Ray's probably not the only bloke that's got a ruby in and then gone out until two o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night. If Barrow don't go up, surely I've got to go there with Dover next season.